Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Apparently, um, in the introduction this morning, um, I was equated to the food that you guys have last week. And so, um, just out of curiosity, turkey bacon or regular bacon? What did y'all have here last week? Regular bacon. All right. Nice. Well, um, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Uh, My name is Chris Bacon. I serve at our John Young campus as our Next Gen pastor and really excited to be here with you guys and be part of the work that God is doing here Um, First, I just want to thank Pastor Chris Ogden just for giving me the opportunity to be with you guys. He's an incredible friend to me. I've known Chris for several years now and just the passion that he has for you as a people and for the community of Horizon West. Him and Nikki really have a heart to serve you guys well. And so um, just encourage them. Um, I think that's one of the, the reasons why I'm here today is to just help each of us be able to encourage them. I also want to celebrate um, Edwin and his wife, Heather, and the way that they lead our movement students um, here at Horizon West. And so if we can thank them. And I also um, want to encourage you, if you have a teenager, um, to get them signed up for Camp Orlando. Um, I think it's an incredible opportunity for your teenager or your friend's teenager, or if you're a grandparent in the room, for them to be part of life change. I actually went to camp um, for, my, for the, the one and only time I've ever been as a student. I went as a senior in high school. Um, I actually was saved when I was 17, started to go to First Baptist Orlando as a senior in high school, knew one person um, who actually brought me to the church. And then about four or five months into that, they actually quit going to church. So I just kept going and heard about this awesome thing called Camp Orlando. I didn't really know anyone, but I thought, you know what? Might as well go. And so I went to Camp Orlando and looking back, that was a life-changing week for me. Um, I I think back to that moment, I've still got some friends from that. Um, And then several years later, as I was on staff as an intern, God actually, while I was at Camp Orlando, called me into ministry. Um, So Camp Orlando is something that's special to me. I know if you're a teenager in here and you've never been before, that can be a nerve wracking thing to go, man, I'm going to sign up and go. And I've never been. I want to encourage you. I was right where you are, um, even as a senior in high school, but God used it to impact my life. And so I want to encourage you to get your students signed up. We have about um, 50 spots left, which is not a lot of spots um, that, that we have um, available. Um, but I want to encourage you to make that a priority for your teenager and for your family. Um, it will be an impactful week. So we're continuing our series this morning on the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Chris Ogden, the non-food version of me, um, has done an incredible job up to this point of just really breaking down um, who the Holy Spirit is and the relationship between the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, um, and really helping us see how the Holy Spirit was given to us to impact us to live the Christian life. And this morning, I'm going to talk about what the Holy Spirit means, what it means to be a Holy Spirit-led family, but I'm also going to talk really, what does it mean to be a Holy Spirit-led Christian? What does it mean to actually be led by the Spirit, and how would the Spirit have His 
way in us um, as people who are followers of Jesus. Now, when I think back um, to what my family was like, there's a couple of things that I need you to know about my family growing up. Um, One, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I was actually the first Christian in my family, was saved when I was 17, started following Jesus, um, started to go to church as a senior in high school. Um, And so when I think back to what my family, what I think my family was like growing up and what I observed about my family, here's what my family looked like. Now, maybe you're thinking that's actually what my family looked like on the way to church this morning. But I had this idea in my head um, of, of, of really what the perfect Christian family looked like because in October um, of every year, we would actually have something delivered to my grandparents' house that was like a game-changing moment for all of the grandkids. Um, and it was the J.C. Penney's Christmas catalog. For those of you in the room old enough to appreciate that, do we not just, we need to bring that back. That's so much better than the internet, all right? <laughs> This J.C. Penney's catalog, somebody's clapping over there. I appreciate the clapping. This J.C. Penney's catalog was amazing. I mean, it just had like, I mean, it was basically Amazon stuffed into a whole magazine. And we would wait for this magazine to come out and all the grandkids would wait. And it was like a gift that just kept on giving because we would get it. And then we would be able to choose our Christmas gifts, which was even better. And then we would be able to receive our Christmas gifts that we actually saw in the JCPenney's catalog. This was a game-changing moment for all of us. But I can remember being on the outside of not being a Christian family and having some Christian friends. And what I always thought that um, the Christian family looked like was this picture of the JCPenney's catalog. Now, notice I made sure that um, I chose a picture that didn't have my sister in it um, and so didn't have a a sibling in it um, because for sometimes as a sibling, you think, man, my life would just be so much better if it was just me and I was the only child. Um, So, but this is what I thought a Christian family looked like. Um, I thought it was this picture of perfection. And for some of us in here this morning, when we hear this idea of living the Christian life or we hear this idea of being a spirit-led family or we hear this idea of what our families are supposed to be like, our mind automatically goes to some type of picture. Sometimes that picture is built for us by society. Sometimes that picture is built for us by our parents. Sometimes that picture is built, by, uh, built for us because of comparison. Sometimes that picture is built for us because of just the pressure of feeling like you have to be perfect. Um, all of us have what we would probably have in the back of our minds as a standard of what every area of our lives should look like. And for me, this was the standard that I had of the picture-perfect family. Now, as we think about that today, it's important for us to ask the question of what would it be, what would it mean for us to not have to live under the weight of perfection, to not have to live under the weight of whatever that picture is in every area of our lives. So I shared with you a second ago that the JCPenney's catalog for me was a game-changing moment every year. Well, our throughout history, we've had game-changing moments. So when I think about history, I think about some of these significant game-changing moments. One was JFK and his, we're going to the moon speech and what that meant for our country and just the the race to space and how all of that impacted us. The fact that we were going to go to the moon and what that was for us historically. Now, last week, the Orlando Magic had a pretty historic game-changing moment. Does anybody know what was last week? The NBA draft. How many of you watched the NBA draft? Yeah, how many of you were curious about the NBA draft? 
Yeah, so the NBA draft happened last week. It was a pretty big deal. The Orlando Magic had the number one pick in the draft, and they drafted Paolo Bonchero out of Duke. Now, this is a significant thing, whether or not you follow Orlando Magic, whether or not you're a basketball fan, to get the number one pick in the draft and to be able to draft any player that you absolutely want in any sport is a huge deal. Now, this is a game-changing moment because from this point forward, next year I'll be here again um, after a year has passed and we'll be celebrating the, the, the NBA champion, Orlando Magic. <laughs> Y'all have laughed more at that than anything else I've said this morning, all right? <laughs> so we don't really know if that's going to happen, but it's a game-changing moment. That's why you, the number one pick in the draft is supposed to change the entire trajectory of your whole franchise. Now, the next one is a real game-changing moment. I mean, this thing has changed families possibly more than anything else. This air fryer, if you guys don't, air, if you guys don't own an air fryer, buy one. All right, I get no commission off of this. I will be in the back selling it outside of my trunk at the end of this service. These air fryers are incredible. Now, here's what's so funny about it. When we bought our air fryer, I actually started to Google air fryer recipes. And here's what makes this such a game changer. I couldn't find any videos made by women. It was all men. Men were cooking. This thing was a game changer. I mean, men were talking about, man, I, I put the wings inside of it and it was, it was the best wing I've ever had. And then I took mozzarella cheese sticks and I put that in it. And, and men are like experimenting with cooking in this thing. It's unbelievable. It's a game changer. But when we think about a game-changing moment in Christianity and what it means for us as people who are following Jesus and what it means for us as we lead our families to follow Jesus and to make much of him, there's really one moment in all of history that stands out um, beyond any other. And that's the moment when Jesus had, had gathered his disciples and he's telling them about this fact that he's about to ascend to heaven, but he's going to send them a helper. Now, I want you guys to read this with me, but as we read it, I want you to think about what the disciples must have been feeling. Can you imagine walking with Jesus all of this time and seeing him perform miracles and seeing him do unbelievable things and seeing the love and the compassion that he had for people? And then he, he gathers the disciples after they've been following him and seeing the miracles amongst him and seeing just the, the work that he was doing. And he gathers them in John 16. He says these words to them. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine being the disciples? If Jesus was here today gathering us and he would go, hey, I've got something to tell you. There's something that's going to happen that's going to be to your advantage. I'm leaving, but don't worry. There's something that's actually going to be even better than me being here with you. And that's this idea that the Holy Spirit would dwell inside of all of us. So instead of Jesus simply modeling for us what it meant to, to live a godly life, he was sending a spirit inside of us that would now empower us to live the life that he had called us to live. Now, why that's so important is because if we live under this weight of perfection of, man, we've got to do this and we've got to have this right action and this right action. And if I say the wrong thing in my family or if I use the wrong tone with my child, like what does that mean for me? We can live under this weight. And here's why this is so critical. Because Christianity is nothing more than the spirit-empowered life. It's what separates Christianity from all of these other world religions is this idea that Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf, 
He died a death that we deserved. But when we put our faith and trust in him, we get the deposit of the Holy Spirit that both makes us right in the sight of God, but also allows us to live out a spirit-empowered life that's not under our own effort, but under the, under the power of the Spirit. So the question for all of us to ask this morning, and the question for all of us to ask as families and as individuals, is how do we lead our families to experience the power of the Spirit, not the pressure of perfection? And I just want to ask that question this morning. Is the Spirit leading your life or is the pressure of perfection leading your life? Is the pressure of, I've, I've got to do just enough to make my right in the sight of God, to make my life right in the sight of God? Or I've got to be a good enough parent to make myself right or to ensure that I produce kids that actually follow Jesus later in life? What's actually What's actually the driving force behind your life? And last week, Pastor Chris ended his message talking about that one of the evidences of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the evidences that the Spirit is in our life is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I have to confess something. When I read the fruit of the Spirit after becoming a Christian for the first time, my first thought um, was, and, and we're going to get it up on the screen in Galatians 5. Um, when I read this, my first thought as somebody that is very performance-driven, um, I, I love performing, I love competing, I played sports all of my life, um, I still try to play sports um, on the days when I can, when my body will allow me to, um, old age is setting in, if I can get an amen for that. But when I first read this passage, uh, my instinct was, was not to depend on the Spirit to do this work in my life, but my instinct was to do what any other performer would do. And so I, I want you guys to read this with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When I first read this passage as somebody that had been a Christian for about a year, my instinct was to go, oh man, this is what the Christian life is supposed to be. I'm going to produce the best fruit that I can. I mean, I'm going to be so much better than the person next to me at producing fruit. I'm like, I'm going to be a fruit producing machine. Because I was driven by this need and this desire to be perfect, this need and this desire to perform. But we, we know that a spirit-led life is not one that values our performance. A spirit-led life is one that values the performance of Jesus on our behalf. In fact, Pastor Chris talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he talked about how the Spirit exalts the work of the Son and the Son exalts the Father. But fast forward with me to Galatians 6, 7 through 10. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary, in, weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, 
we have an opportunity, so as long as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to know first. Um, the book of Galatians is written to a group of people who are ultimately the Judaizers, which just basically means this. They're people who ultimately, um, they were trying to attach um, works to salvation. And so they were going, yes, Jesus died for our sins, but it's Jesus plus our works that makes us right in the sight of God. They were living under their own power. They were trying to add things to the gospel. And so the book of Galatians is written to address this issue. And so Paul writes this. It's actually one of the most unique letters because in Galatians 1, Paul actually starts the letter off just going right into it. He doesn't actually have his normal greeting. He just goes into this idea about the fact that there are people who are trying to distort the gospel. They're trying to distort this idea that it isn't Christ alone that rescues us and saves us, that it isn't grace that sanctifies us, but it's our works that make us right before God. And so he goes into this idea, this understanding of really unpacking for this church what it means to put their faith, not just for salvation in the work of Christ, but also to understand the finished work of Christ on their behalf. Now, when we read this in Galatians 6 and we read Galatians 5, it can be easy to look at those two things and go, oh, I've got to produce something. I've got to perform a certain way. If I'm going to be a, a spirit-led life, like I have to be producing fruit. And it can easily lead us to feel as if um, it's our performance that produces the fruit. Now, I want to point out something here. In Galatians 6, um, we do see a universal principle that's also seen in other passages of Scripture, which is just this idea that you reap what you sow. But we also know that in the Christian life, um, that ultimately everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus has not sown what they reaped. Because all of us, we actually sowed a life that deserved punishment. We served, sowed a life that deserved wrath. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus took the wrath that was meant for us and we got the reward that was meant for him. So this is a universal principle that typically you do reap what you sow. And there are other passages, even all the way through the book of Proverbs that talk about this principle. And there is truth to it. But what is Paul talking about here in light of everything else that he said in the book of Galatians? When he talks about this idea of you reap the flesh or you reap the spirit or reap the, um, sow, the, sow the flesh and you'll reap the flesh, sow the spirit and you'll reap the spirit. Well, the word flesh here is a word that actually um, can be translated, is a word that's translated from another word called sarks. Now, this is this idea of ultimately um, in the Old Testament, the word sarks actually would be best represented in the word idol or idolatry. It's this idea of something that you're living for, that you get your worth from, that you get your identity from, that you get your satisfaction from. So the way that I always communicate it is this way. What, what in your life, um, if it was removed, would just cause you to feel empty? What in your life, if it wasn't going the way that you thought it should or the way that you hoped it would, if it went sideways, like what in your life when it goes that direction would cause you to feel empty, would cause you to feel joyless, would cause you to feel like life just maybe wasn't worth living anymore? Well, that's an idol. 
And so what Paul is getting at here in light of the rest of the book of Galatians is he's saying that for many of these people, ultimately the thing that was driving their life um, was this idea of perfection. The thing that was driving their life was this idea of a standard that they felt like they had to live up to. This idea of making themselves right before God. For some of us, we would look at that and we would go, oh, like that's like the, the, the picture of the perfect family. And this idea of the thing that's driving us is our kids have to have straight A's. Our kids have to get into this school. Our kids have to do this. Or if these things don't happen in their life, then it's not going to be okay. In fact, yesterday I was getting coffee and I heard a dad say this and I thought, man, that's so perfect. I'm going to put that in my sermon. He doesn't know this, that he's going to be in the sermon this morning. So hopefully you're not here if you said this in a coffee shop yesterday and we've never met. I apologize. He said these words to his kids. He said, hey, we're in public. Use your public behavior. And then he looked at them, he said, public behavior. What he, what he was saying is right now, like around all of these people in this coffee shop, <laughs> I'm concerned about what they think about our family. And so don't act like you're acting like normally, just like put the public behavior on, turn it on. And he was revealing something and he might have not have realized this, but he was revealing that ultimately the way that everybody else in that coffee shop perceived his family was of ultimate value to him. It wasn't actually how his kids like were, it was how they were acting. And, and Paul's driving home this point that for these people, they could often be obsessed with what everybody else saw. But he was talking about this idea of if you sow from the wrong place, if you sow from selfish motives, if you sow from a place of I'm going to be my own savior or my works are what make me right before God, if you sow from that place, your life will actually lead to destruction. Your life will lead to corruption. Your life will lead to you trying to be your own savior instead of depending on the work of the gospel. Now, why is it so important? Because being in step with the spirit is always gonna move us to dependency on Christ and his finished work. It's always gonna move us to understand what Christ has done on our behalf, not what we do on his behalf. It's always gonna move us to a greater dependence on the finished work of Christ, not on our ability to do the work of God. It's always gonna move us to a place to where we understand the imputed righteousness that Jesus has bestowed upon us because of the perfect life that he lived, not because of the life that we lived. It's always gonna lead us to a place to where we understand that our standing before God and the love that God gives us is not based on how well we do or how poorly we do. It's not based on whether or not we get it right or we get it wrong. It's simply based on the fact that God has chosen to bestow love upon to us for all of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. And so it's an understanding this morning that ultimately, as you stay in step with the Spirit, it's always going to lead you to understand the gospel more and more. See, the gospel, a lot of times we look at it as simply the ABC of the Christian life. We look at it as a starting point of the Christian life, but it's actually the A to Z of the Christian life. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.12, it says that the angels long to look at the gospel all day long. 
They're infatuated by it. The, the term there is used to describe like what you would use to describe a diamond, that the more you look at it, the, the, the greater insight that you have, like you look at it from one angle or another angle, and it can completely change what you see. And the gospel for us is really something that we have to keep at the core motivation of everything that we do, understanding that as parents or as kids or as grandparents, that ultimately our ability to love our families well, to love our city well, to love our community well, it really all flows out of this one simple idea, which is your love for your family, your love for your spouse, your love for your parents, your love for your neighbor. All of it flows out of an understanding of God's love for you. And so if you're struggling this morning to get Galatians 5 right, if you're struggling this morning to produce the type of fruit that is patient, that is kind, that is loving, that is filled with joy, what I would say is spend some time this week soaking in the fruit of the gospel so you can produce the fruit of the gospel. Spend some time thinking about how God has been patient with you. Spend some time thinking about how God has been kind to you. Spend some time thinking about how God has loved you. And as you do that, it will melt away all of those other things that can be obstacles to producing fruit. It's living under the perfected work of Jesus, not under the perfection of what our world calls us to. See, if you would simply apply this, sow the gospel so you can show the gospel. See, this happens in Galatians 5 as a result of the Spirit working in us to help us better understand the work of the Son on our behalf. And as we understand the work of the Son on our behalf, we'll begin to show the gospel. We'll begin to have fruit in our lives. We'll begin to actually produce kindness and produce a life that's filled with joy. And guess what? We won't be tired at the end of it. When we allow perfection or self-effort to drive us, we're exhausted. We're tired. We're going, man, it was so hard to actually be kind today. It was so hard to actually be patient today. But if when we soak in the fruit of the gospel, when we soak in and we sow the gospel into our lives, the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, it will help us as parents. It will help us as families. It will help us as kids to actually then show the fruit of that work in our lives by the Spirit's leading. So how do we do that? Galatians 3 actually gives us some great insight. Galatians 3, 2 through 6 says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, I love this passage and I didn't include the first um, part of it because uh, it's a little bit mean and I didn't want to offend anybody. No, actually, I just didn't have enough time, but I love the way that he starts it. He actually starts it off, Oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Which just means like, who deceived you? Because he's, so, he's, he's trying to drive home this point. And then he says, Did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, he's talking about this idea of, are you being perfected? Are you being perfected by your performance? Are you being perfected by the work of the flesh? Are you being perfected by your striving to live up to the standard that God has already imputed to you because of the work of Jesus? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, again, we have a tendency to think that it's the gospel that saves us and it's our effort that changes us. And in this passage, what he's saying is a life that's lived in the spirit consistently gains its power and gains its standing before God based on what Jesus has done for us. Because the spirit is always going to lead us into greater dependency on the work that God has done on our behalf, not the work that we do on his behalf. And as we do that, we'll begin to produce the type of fruit that we desire to produce. Sow the gospel so you can show the gospel. Now, three actions that I think are really simple for all of us as we leave here today on how can we do that. The first one is simply this, sing the gospel. Make it a priority to see the gospel in your life, in your family's life, um, in, in your whole life every day. Now, there's a couple of things you can do to do that. One um, is when you read the Bible, make a practice of reading the Bible, not to see what you've done on God's behalf, but to see what God's done on your behalf. Several years ago, when I, when I first became a Christian, I would read this book and I would, I would go, oh man, I got that right. Oh man, I got that right. Ooh, didn't get that one right. And then I, I begin to shift the way that I read the Bible. And it's not to say that God doesn't give us commands in here, because he does. But I begin to also ask the question as I was reading it, hey God, what have you done on my behalf? Because again, love for God grows out of an understanding of God's love for you. Love for God grows out of an understanding of God's love for me. Loving my family requires I understand how God has loved me. And so I want to read this book to see the things that God has done on my behalf. The second thing that I would say is, is seek opportunities to talk about how God has forgiven you. Even with your kids, to when you've raised your voice or you use the tone, talk about the forgiveness that God has for you in that moment. Talk about how you're not perfect but ultimately um, you have a God who lived a perfect life on your behalf. So that way, even in those moments when you fall short, the gospel can be lifted up. See the gospel in your life, see the gospel in your family's life. Or maybe it's simply talking about how you didn't have the perfect home life growing up, but how God has led you to be able to offer forgiveness to those people in your life so that way you don't walk wounded you walk understanding that Jesus even died for the wounds that were given to you. Second one is simply this, showing the gospel. So show the gospel. Look for ways to serve people. Look for ways to do the good works that Paul commends us to do in Galatians 6. Maybe that means signing up to serve at VBS. Maybe that means um, bringing your neighbor um, baked goods and not the gluten-free kind, okay? Like can, if we're going to be good neighbors... Let's give them the sugar. <laughs> so let's give them the real wheat. So I'm just kidding. I, I like gluten-free stuff. So if you want to bake me some gluten-free blueberry muffins, please do so. Um, showing the gospel. Look for ways to serve your neighbors. Also, as a family, begin to map out your neighborhood and pray for the people that God um, has placed aside. You know, in Acts 17, it says that he's determined the boundary lines in which we live. None of you live in the neighborhood, the apartment, the area that you live in by accident. He's determined that. And you know, the reason he's determined that, it says, is so that way some people might be able to experience the goodness of the gospel. He's done that in your life. He's given you that opportunity as a mission field. So look for ways to show the gospel to people, to serve people, to love people, to care for people. And then the third one is um, sharing the gospel. 
You want to live a life that's led by the Spirit? Again, the Spirit is always going to drive us to exalt the work of Christ and the person of Christ. It's always going to exalt us towards helping other people. It's always going to move us towards helping other people experience the power of the gospel. But as you do that, what happens is you also become dependent on the Spirit. I'm telling you, try it this week. Um, Bake some goods, go and find a neighbor, and go deliver those goods. I'm telling you, the whole time, especially for the introverts in the room, the whole time you're walking over there, you're just going to be like, please give me strength. Please give me strength. Please don't let them open the door. Please don't let them. You're going to be so dependent on the Spirit. When you do the work of the Spirit, you become dependent on the Spirit. When you do the work of God, you become dependent on the finished work of Christ. When you do those things, it creates a dependency on the Spirit that you normally wouldn't have. In fact, the first time that God called me to share the gospel with somebody, I had been a Christian probably for about eight months. I didn't really know a lot of scripture. I'd never been trained on how to share my faith story with anybody. I just knew that God said, do it. And I was like, I I better do it. He said to do it. The Holy Spirit's leading me to do it. So I called this friend up. I said, hey, I want to take you to lunch. And no no senior in high school turns down free lunch. Just going to be honest. So he said, oh yeah, I'd love to join you for for a free lunch. I don't remember the restaurant, but I remember it was by this place called Gatorland because you don't forget Gatorland. It's just a weird theme park, but not for me. It's like like the opposite of the magical kingdom, but (laughs) I don't know about that. But I just remember sitting down with him and I was so nervous and I sat across from him and I was like, and then I can remember the spirit working in my life. I can remember even being there going, Jesus, I need you right now. I need you to give me the power to speak words that I don't have and to let me get these words out of my mouth so I don't look like an idiot. And I can remember the spirit working in my life, giving me words to speak. It wasn't clear, it wasn't articulate, but that's all I could say was, hey, I need you to know something. He's like, okay. Said eight months ago, I had this amazing experience with God where he changed my life. And God wanted me to come here today to lunch with you to tell you about that experience. So I shared it with him. And he sat right there at that table and he said, Chris, I just want to pray to receive Christ right now. No, he didn't do that. But can I tell you something? I'll never forget that moment. Because as I thought I was going there to change his life, God actually did something in me. See, he reminded me and he taught me in that moment that if you'll be obedient, if you'll allow the Spirit to lead your family's life, if you'll allow the Spirit to lead your life, the Spirit will never lead you somewhere that he won't also empower you to do the work. And for far too many of us, the reason why we don't have to depend on the Spirit is because we actually won't let the Spirit lead us. We won't let the Spirit take us where only the Spirit can. And the reason why we can do the Christian life sometimes to some degree on our own strength is because we haven't actually allowed the Spirit to bring us to places of dependency. I promise you this, if you, sought, if you start to sow this, the work of the Spirit, if you start to keep in step with the work of the Spirit, It's going to create a greater dependency on you needing the Spirit. It's also going to create a greater awareness of how the Spirit is empowering you. And guess what? It's going to remind you consistently of what God has done on your behalf. 
and that your life is not built on what you do for God, but what God has done for you. So I shared with you guys at the beginning that my, my dad, um, that my, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Both my parents actually were addicted to drugs growing up. Um, and my dad, when I became a Christian, um, God called me to share my faith with him as well. And um, when I began to share my faith with him, he said, Chris, I want you to know something. That's amazing news for you, but I don't want anything to do with God. And I said, okay, well, I'm still your son. So you're going to have to listen to me talk about Jesus all the time. So did that as often as I could. But, but one year, my dad actually was sent to a faith-based re- recovery program, um, which means that um, he had a choice to go to jail or to go to the faith-based recovery program. He chose the one that had better food, we think. And so he ends up there and he's got to hear all these Bible studies. And while he's there, one night he gives his life to Jesus. Um, but what's unbelievable about that is about nine years ago, three years after he gives his life to Jesus, um, he actually died tragically. He was climbing up a ladder. I mean, he's a construction worker and fell about seven feet off that ladder, hit his head on gorilla shelving, um, had internal bleeding. But what's so neat is I'm about to show you a picture of his legacy because what doesn't look like much um, actually speaks to what it means to live a spirit-led life. See, my dad gave his life to Jesus. And as soon as he gave his life to Jesus, he began to ask questions like, God, like, what can I do to see the gospel in my life? What can I do to share the gospel in my life? What can I do to show the gospel in my life? What you're looking at right here is a place called the Ronald Bacon, that's my dad's name, um, the Ronald Bacon Transitional House for Men. And it actually sits at the place where my dad found a relationship with Jesus, where he came into a relationship with Christ. It's a place for men who have graduated out of the program to be able to get the help that they need and get on their feet, have a little bit more freedom. So that way then they can go and do the work that God has called them to do after they graduate out of the program. See, when you live a spirit-led life, you'll leave a spirit-led legacy. My dad didn't get it right until the last really two years of his life. But when I think about my dad's life, I don't think about, I don't think about the 52 years he squandered away. I think about this. If you're a parent here, if you're a student here, what I would encourage you with is as you live a spirit-led life, it will help you lead, leave the legacy you want to leave. I don't remember my dad as perfect. I just remember my dad as being used and available to the spirit. See, if you'll sow the gospel in your, in your life, you'll show the gospel out of your life. In a second, as we wrap up, if you're here and you've never had a moment when you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you're here and you're relying on the work of religion or you're relying on the satisfaction of the world. You're, you put your faith and your trust on all of these other things that you're standing on, hoping that they'll satisfy you. I was there, I was 17. I, I had tried everything to produce that in my life. My dad tried everything to produce that in his life. I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the gospel for the first time. Because the gospel frees us both from the destruction of sin, but it also frees us from the illusion of self-righteousness. 
it frees us from the illusion that if we just do enough, we'll be right in God's eyes. And it also frees us from the destruction that worldly sin can cause. So if you're with me today, would you bow your head? Maybe you're watching online. And I simply wanna ask this question. If you would say that there's never been a moment in your life when you've put your faith and trust in the work that Jesus did for you on the cross, this idea that all of us were separated from God because of sin, and all of us, because of our sin nature, were separated from a relationship with Him. But the good news is that Jesus sent His one and only Son into the world to die on the cross so that whoever believed in Him wouldn't just be forgiven of their sins, but would have everlasting life. If you're here today and maybe you've put your trust in worldly things, you've put your trust in your job, you've put your trust in your works, you've put your trust in broken relationships, or maybe you're here today and you put your trust in your performance on God's behalf and you're very religious, but you've never had a moment in your life when you stepped into a relationship with Him, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to that gospel. If you're here today and you would say, Chris, I've never had that moment in my life when I put my faith and trust in Him, but I wanna do that this morning. I'm just gonna ask that right where you are, that you would do me a favor and you would just look up at me and just make eye contact. I'm looking across this room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now we're gonna pray and I want you to just repeat this prayer right where you are. Jesus, I thank you for sending your, I thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. So I no longer had to strive on my own, but instead I could depend on the work that you did for me on the cross. And today I'm putting my faith and trust in the work that you did for me on my behalf. And I'm choosing to live my life to honor you the rest of the days of my life. It's in your perfect and precious name I pray. And Jesus, I pray for the believers in this room. God, would you help us live lives that are led by your spirit, not led by the drive of performance. And God, might we live lives that sow the work of the gospel in us so we can show the work of the gospel in our city. It's in your perfect and precious name we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.